It's a Sunday morning, so you know what that means. That means grinders. Once again, it is our time. This is episode six of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. Josh Taylor here with you, joined as always by my trusted associate, co-host, producer extraordinaire, Greg Finley, a.k.a. Jermichael. Whatever you do, whatever you do, please don't call him Aloysius. That's all we're asking. But ladies, please call him. Or if you like, tweet him at the GFED. Tweet me at Josh Taylor HD. Tweet the su- tweet the show, excuse me, at Sunday MORN Grind. We'd love to hear from you. We we'd love hearing from folks that were fans of the show uh, during its previous form. We love hearing from fans of the show now. We love hearing you guys check in. And I'm sure you guys have a lot to talk about when you hear us just completely pick our brains about some of the most random stuff on earth. But I, I'd like to think this time around we've kind of streamlined what we're talking about. We're trying to we're trying to stay more on task now. Because we have more time to work with, so we just tend to, you know. And by we, I mean me, basically. And Greg's, like, laughing at me because he knows it's, I'm right. It's kind of dangerous that we have more time now. The <laughs> we worst, can get way off the rails. The worst thing you could give me is more time. That's, that's like, the worst thing. But we do have a lot to get into. We got to talk NFL, Steeler fans. I, I imagine a lot of you are happier right now. I imagine a lot of you aren't so happy right now. We'll talk about why. Plus, we got to talk some basketball, both NBA and college basketball. NBA side of it, Greg and I will talk about just our, our NBA thoughts on the current week. We got a couple of things we got to get into. We got um, we have power rankings to get into, th- teams that are letting us down, and, and and Greg has to really get something off his chest. So we're going to give him that forum to do that. We'll get into it. Plus, college basketball, some news for Pitt basketball that I'm sure Pitt fans are not happy to hear about, but we got to lend some perspective on this because there's there's some things I think we need to remind ourselves from this situation with pit basketball. So we'll talk about that. Plus, you know what we like to do when it, when it comes to this show and the time comes around? It's February going into March. You know what that means? It's time to start talking about baseball. Why? Why, Greg? Because we love baseball. Because we love baseball. So we're going to break down. We're, we're breaking down one division per week. So we have pretty much our MLB preview coming up, at least our first one. We're going to start in our own backyard with the NL Central. Greg and I will tell you who we think will win the division. We'll go over uh, what we'll do is as far as win totals, instead of guessing numbers, we'll just guess overs and unders based on the preseason numbers that were set out. And we'll give you our thoughts on the overs and unders. So we'll do that too. Plus, we have to play our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? We got a couple good ones. Got a couple good concepts (laughs) to talk about here that we will have you decide whether or not they are indeed things. Plus, we got hot sheet picks coming up for this week, too. So we got a lot to get into. Let's start out talking about football. If you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan or live anywhere in the known vicinity, you've probably heard this every day, every hour on the hour. The Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger have reportedly met. According to team president Art Rooney II, they, they had a good meeting. They have not sorted out his contract situation yet. However, according to Art Rooney II, he feels that Ben's arm is, is fine. He feels that he can still play. He wants Ben to go out on a good note. Ben's agent, Ryan Toner, reached out to Aditi Kinkabwala from uh, NFL Network. Big fans of Aditi, both of us. Um, and pretty much made it known he's coming back. He wants to play another year. They're going to try to make his contract work. But here's the thing. Normally, this news should be, hey, the Steelers are getting their quarterback again for one year, or at least, at least one more year. They're going to take another run at this. 
everything's okay. That's not what we're hearing, Greg. That's not what we're hearing. What are you taking from all of this, everything being discussed this week? Uh, I'm trying to keep an open mind, but it's really hard to do that whenever it comes to this situation because I've seen I've seen what happened to the Steelers this past playoffs, and I was not happy with it one whatsoever. And it was from the very beginning of that game where I thought, man, they're really going to lose to Cleveland, and they ended up losing to Cleveland. Beginning of the season, I'm thinking, okay, like Ben looks really good. Steelers are on fire. They're undefeated. They're winning games that they should be winning, and it's because Ben's back and we don't have Duck as the quarterback or Rudolph. But it was also because the defense was great. If you bring Ben back, which they're going to, and they don't want to pay him $41.5 million for a one-year contract, now they're probably looking at an extension, which means you're going to spread it out and you're going to take a cap hit for your future. I just mentioned the defense. What does that mean if they bring Ben back for a couple more seasons? It means they're not going to be able to keep people on the defense. And that is a huge problem. And on top of that, I already know what Ben brings to the table. They got bounced in the wild card. They won the division. Cool. They got bounced in the wild card. The division's not getting older at quarterback. It's getting younger. Burrow is a young kid. Lamar Jackson is a young kid. Baker Mayfield is a young kid. And all three of them were Heisman Trophy winners, so we know the pedigree is there. Yes, and and Ben is not a young kid anymore. He's just not. He's a year younger than me, so he's definitely not a young kid. So, Throwing it out there. So I look at that, and I think, when are we going to actually see what the future of the Steelers holds? Because now we're going to go another season of not knowing what the future holds because they're bringing back the old guy again. If he was Tom Brady, I'd be like, absolutely, do it. No problem. This isn't Tom Brady. And I don't hate Ben. I actually like Ben as a quarterback. I thought he was great for the Steelers in his career. But I also think that whenever it's time to move on, you see the signs. And I saw the signs this year. They're throwing screen passes against the Bengals. We talked about this last week. And they weren't working. They weren't working. I wanted to throw stuff at my TV. If I see them run one more screen, like, it doesn't work. Unless you have Antonio Brown make five guys miss tackles, it doesn't work. Guys are dropping the ball all the time, so they can't go deep anyway. He was throwing interceptions for going deep in a double coverage. They had no run game. So what is this really solving? You're bringing Ben back. Great. Probably not going to have Juju. Probably not going to have Connor. What does this solve? I don't think it solves anything. It it just it's gonna cause more problems than solutions. That's my that's my big take on this. This doesn't make me happy as a Steelers fan. I hear people discuss the contract situation with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers cap situation as if everybody's worried about their ability to get under the cap. If you've paid attention to anything this team has done in the last five years much less the last decade, if you've been working in this business as long as I have the last decade or so, probably like closer to a decade and a half, maybe even the last two decades, if you've paid attention to anything this team does, getting under the cap for this team is not a problem because the things that they're doing now, the things that they have just done and are, and are probably continuing to do, they do them every year. Ham Hayward getting his contract restructured. They do stuff like that every year. Guys make a lot of money. What do they do? Converted into a signing bonus. They they allow them to to put some of it towards this year's cap. They push the rest of it towards next year's cap hit. 
and next year will come around, and they'll do the same thing again with Cam Hayward's contract. They'll find another way to shift the money around and push it back so there's more money for other people. We know this is going to happen because it's what they do. And if you've paid attention over the last several, however many years, you know they do this every year. It has never been about getting this team under the cap. It has never been about Ben's salary affecting their, their ability to get under the cap. It's not about that. It's about the ability, once you get under the cap, bringing back the guys you want to bring back and also adding to this team while staying under the cap and trying to absorb your quarterback's salary cap hit. Because anything you do to this team, Greg, let's not kid ourselves. You just brought up everything that went wrong. When this team is trying to figure out what it's going to do next season, you know what they're going to need to do? They're going to need to try to find every way to fix every problem you just laid out. They got to fix their running game, which was last in the league. They got to fix their ability to throw the ball down the field, which became a problem towards the end of the season. And like you mentioned, they were throwing screen passes against the Bengals and lost, and they didn't even have Joe Burrow. That's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem. Then the next problem is you got a bunch of free agents leaving. One of them is your best receiver. One of them was your starting running back. But those aren't even, they're big, but they're not the biggest problems. Three or four of those guys are on your defense, which, by the way, this past season was in the top five in the league in points allowed, yards allowed, takeaways, and number one in sacks. And they have a number one in sacks over the last four seasons. You got to try to keep that group together. And one of the guys who helped lend to that sack total, he's one of the big free agents that's leaving, and he's bound to get paid in Bud Dupree. Yep. That's the problem that you have. It's not Ben's contract getting them under the cap. They're going to get themselves under the cap. It's about what you do after you get under the cap because you got 19 unrestricted free agents by themselves. That's not even counting the restricted free agents like a Zach Banner. We're just talking about the UFAs that are leaving. That's an issue. And they lose Pouncey, too. And Marquise Pouncey's retiring. Vance McDonald's retiring. You're probably, you're, they're not expected to bring Alejandro Villanueva back. No. So now you have two offensive linemen and arguably, actually, it's not even arguably. He is your best blocking tight end because Eric Ebron's not a good blocking tight end. So now you got two, two linemen that you're probably going to have to replace, plus, plus your best blocking tight end. For a running game that was already last in the league. And that starting running back is leaving too. You have a lot of things you got to fix. But one of the things you want to bring back is a quarterback who really augments a lot of the problems that you have. Because he can't win games by himself anymore. I can't tell you the last time he was able to win games by himself. To be totally frank, it's been a while. If this team gets the ball... In a game, let's say they're down a possession and need him to come back and win it, I don't know if he can do that anymore. I don't know if he's capable. You can bring up the game against Dallas and how well he played in the second half against Dallas. You can bring up the second half. What game am I thinking? There's a game late in the season that he showed up in the second half. They just completely came back. Colts. Thank you. The game against Indianapolis. You can bring those games up. And those are, those are good cases. But what did it take for that Indianapolis game to happen? It took the offense going crazy, and it took the defense to keep taking the ball back from the Colts. If the defense doesn't keep taking the ball back from the Colts, the offense doesn't get back in that game. That took a lot of good complementary football for that to happen. It wasn't just Ben. That was an entire team effort. 
because the entire team effort in the first half, including the offense, was subpar. We talked about this. That last possession that they had where the Steelers really didn't do anything, they didn't really call any timeouts on defense, they didn't do anything with the ball, they punted it away, and then Indianapolis couldn't do anything, and they, they punted it back to the Steelers with like a minute or something to go, and everybody's like, why didn't Mike Tomlin call timeout? I'm like, did you see the first quarter and a half of this offense? Right. Uh, did you see the last possession before they gave the ball up? If you can't do anything on offense, what are you going to do when you get the ball back? If anything, I don't want to touch the ball. Let me go to halftime and figure out what's wrong with my offense first. And that's what he said, too. He said, "He said, did you see the first half? Yes. It wasn't good. I didn't want to bring the offense back out after how bad we looked. Probably a good idea not to because yeah. it might have turned the ball over. You know what I thought about? <laughs> I thought about the end of the first half was at the Gilroy game and they're in the playoffs and varsity blues. And then Moxon's going back out there and Bud Kilman tells him to take a knee. And Mox is like, coach, there's so many seconds left. He goes, I ain't interested in another turnover. Mike Tomlin went Bud Kilmer in that game. He went Bud Kilmer was like, I'm not interested in seeing this again. And I don't blame him. Go back and fix your offense. I, that was one of those things I tweeted out. I was like, when your offense is this bad, the hell with it. Live in your fears. Because at this point, your fears are justified. And your quarterback was one of those fears. And one of those fears is now coming back this year. And you're and you're going to be missing a lot of pieces. That and you're missing a lot of pieces. Him. Yep. You're you're working. You, you're missing a lot of pieces that were able to help you live through one of those fears. You got to rebuild your offensive line. You're gonna have to find another guy that can block a tight end. You might have to find a new starting running back because I don't know if they got one there. Unless you have faith in Benny Snell, I like Benny Snell. I think Benny Snell could be a contributing guy to this offense running the football. Oh, but the problem is they're not doing very well running the football. The one thing that I'm pointing to, and shout out to Alex Kazora from Steelers Depot. Shout out to Alex. That's my guy. Alex wrote a really cool piece about the Steelers running the ball out of the pistol. Greg, how much have I been asking for this team to run the ball out of the pistol? A lot. You've Be- been asking a lot. It Because it, the, the thing that bothers me is if you believe certain things that have been written, certain things that we've been told. Ben doesn't like going under center. Okay, fine. You've been in the league long enough. Well within your right. Peyton Manning didn't like going under center. Tom Brady didn't always like going under center. Aaron Rodgers doesn't like going under center. That's nothing new. A lot of college quarterbacks don't like going under center. That's nothing new. However, the way this team has their shotgun alignment, they have the sidecar, the the running back position right next to the quarterback. They don't have the offset shotgun with the quarterback maybe to the side, maybe a step or two behind the quarterback. They don't do that. A A lot of spread offenses do that. Because it allows you to run north to south. It sets up the inside, inside zone and also sets up read option. Steelers don't do that. So what do you do? You split the difference. You meet in the middle and you go out of the pistol. That's what you do. Because it allows you to run north to south. It allows you to have, to have some semblance of a power run game. And Alex broke this down. What was one of the most successful plays for the Steelers out of the, out of the pistol? When they ran power. That was one of the things that they liked to do. Urban Meyer helped build a college offense out of power running from the shotgun. And in some cases, out of the pistol with other teams. It's not that crazy of a concept. But to, to, to make a long story short, Alex broke down just how, how few times they did it last season, but how successful it was when they did it. Now, granted, Alex is right. It was a small sample. But the thing is, if you get a little bit of early success, why not keep doing something if it's working for you? 
Yeah, I didn't understand why the offense was changing. They were lighting up scoreboards at the beginning of the season, and then all of a sudden it was just like they're not throwing the ball deep to Claypool anymore. They're not throwing the ball to Juju anymore. They're not utilizing the run game anymore. Like, what happened? What changed? I think it might be the quarterback. I'm I'm of the belief that it is. And here's one of those things, and let's let's get into the other element of this offseason that makes this more interesting. Because Randy Feetner was not extended. He was not brought back. The new offensive coordinator is the guy whom Greg I told you it would be yes, it was. about six or seven months ago. <laughs> told you it was going to be Matt Canada. And my reasoning behind it was you don't bring in Matt Canada to be a position coach. You bring in Matt Canada to revamp your offense. That is what they're doing. And if if Ben is going to be on board with it, which I don't know if I'm willing to accept that he's going to be on board with it. I don't know yet. Feekner was his guy because Ben could do whatever he wanted to. Feekner was his guy. Uh, Bruce Arians was his guy. He's had a couple coordinators that were his guys. Yep. That, that's something to throw out there. And then we had Todd Haley, who was not his guy. Todd Haley was <laughs> clearly not his guy. <laughs> clearly. Todd Haley was a lot of a lot of people's was not a lot of people's guy. <laughs> Especially at the Keela Cowboy. Just saying. Anyway, but to, to kind of bring it back around, this is an offense that needs some some polish. It needs a couple coats of paint and some new wheels. It needs to be fixed up. And that's outside of the fact that you're going to have to change it now anyway because your offensive line is getting shaken up, your running back's gone, and your wide receiver's probably out the door. So now you really got to fix some things on your offense. And, and the running game's part of it. And you're not picking until 24 in the draft. You're not picking until 24 in the draft. So you're either going to have to trade up, which I don't think they're going to do. No, they, they, they don't have a history of trading up unless it's a guy that they feel they absolutely need and the guy they absolutely love, i.e. Devin Bush. Devin Bush. Yep. That, that's it. Or i.e. Troy Polamalu. It's it's a very rare group of guys that have been considered as folks the Steelers traded up to draft. It just doesn't happen. But it all comes back around to this question. You now have to try to revamp this offense from a personnel standpoint and from an X's and O's standpoint with the quarterback that's coming back that really may not benefit from either of those things. So how is this supposed to work? Now, that's not the thing that bothers me. The thing that bothers me is, and I got to talk about this, and let me, let, me, let me get into this. Let me preface this by saying, I was born within the confines of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was born and raised on streets with blue and white street signs three blocks from downtown. Okay? Spent the first 30 years of my life as a resident of the city of Pittsburgh. So if anybody has license to talk about y'all, it's me. Okay? Steeler fans, Pittsburgh folks, sit down and have a family meeting. We need to talk. The whole two opposite sides of the spectrum of this is insanity. We got some people saying that he's a bum, he's washed up, and he needs to be gone. We got other people saying that he's been great for so long, they owe him this, and he's supposed to be treated this way. I'm looking at both of you going, you're both insane. You, you know what? You know what the you know what the fan base, you know what the city at large reminds me of right now when it comes to this Ben Roethlisberger situation? What's that? Have you ever been to like a, a wedding or a really good party, like maybe a birthday party or something where people are dressed up and everybody's having a good time? And and pe- the line dancing starts, right? Mm. You got the electric slide. It, it depending on what kind of party a Cotton Eye Joe might happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what's the one song that a lot of people hear? Now, granted, if you're my family, you hear the booty call, you're probably going to want to get up and dance. Or or the, the Detroit Hustle or was it, I forget, the, was it the... Um, there's the one from Cleveland, too. It's a bunch of different line dances, right? If you, especially if you're at a black wedding or a black party. It just happens. 
What's the one song that if you're at any wedding, any kind of party, people hear it, they're going to get born and dance? Cupid Shuffle, right? Oh, yeah. You hear Cupid Shuffle, everybody's going to get the Cupid Shuffle. So that happens. So you, you're dancing Cupid Shuffle. Then the cha-cha slide comes on. I really dancing. Everybody gets into the cha-cha slide, right? Hear me out on this, because you know I'm good for one good analogy a week. This fan base right now reminds me of a group of people doing the cha-cha slide. Here's why. Because you, you get to the left. Everybody knows to go to the left. Take it back now, y'all. You know to go. You know to take another one to the right. Take it back. One hop this time. Everybody's in on that part. You know, cha-cha, real smooth. Turn it out. Everyone knows those commands. But there is one particular command that when it happens, like 95% of the room has no idea what to do. And what command is that? Charlie Brown. I was going to say Charlie Brown. No one knows except for like three people what to do when Charlie Brown happens. Now, for the record, I know how to Charlie Brown. I know how to do it. But I'm looking around at people going, you don't know how to Charlie Brown, huh? So what happens with people that don't know how to Charlie Brown? What do they start doing? Anything. Whatever the hell they want to. They come to their own conclusion, I'm going to do this dance. This fan base right now, about 95% of it is that group of people that doesn't know how to Charlie Brown. They don't know how to decipher all this, so they're just going to their own conclusion, and they are sticking to it regardless of how it makes them look. Steelers fans, learn how to Charlie Brown. Learn how to look at a situation and decipher it for what it is. No one who says Ben Roethlisberger might be at the end of his career and should move on or that the Steelers should move on, no one is taking away what he's done in the decade plus with this organization. No one's taking away from that. Just like everybody who brings up, hey, he's had this great career. You know, the city owes him a tremendous debt. No one is taking away from the fact if you say that, he doesn't look too great right now. Like, you can't can't keep making this so binary. You're allowed to acknowledge the fact that this man has had such a great career while also acknowledging He is not what he used to be. Exactly. And this team, as it looks right now with him coming back, as we're led to believe by both the organization and his agent, this team right now with him coming back has a lot of warts. And some of them are based on him. So once again, stop coming to your own conclusion and just learn how to Charlie Brown. Stop doing your own dance because you're making everybody else look ridiculous. Okay? It's easy to decipher, hey, for the first 11 games of this season, things worked out well because the Steelers are running the ball somewhat decently. The passing game had some kind of variety to it, and the defense was really damn good. And in the last five games of the season, you know what started happening? Stop running the ball, less variety to the passing game, and the defense could not stop all the water coming on the boat. They can't keep bailing you out. They didn't know how to Charlie Brown. They didn't know how to Charlie Brown. And then the playoff game came along, and all of it blew up in their face. Because what happened? For some odd reason, the quarterback, who was coming back this season, could not fall on a fumble after the center who's retiring screwed up a snap. Then we had a situation where we, we wanted to see this team convert a third down and could not do it because they ran a play that they ran on the previous drive, and the defense saw it coming and stopped it. Then we saw an interception thrown by the quarterback who's coming back next year. And then we saw another situation later on where they turned the ball over again. So you saw out of four drives, 
Three of a them lot were turnovers. Of terrible things happened. <laughs> three of them were turnovers, and one of them was a three and out yep. off of bad play calling. But those three turnovers reflected all around whom? The quarterback, quarterback who's coming back now. You can look at that and say, you know what? This did not work. This did not work. And you gave up 28 points in the first quarter to the team you have owned that your quarterback has owned for a decade and a half. And you gave up 28 points. And for the record, your defense wasn't even there to give up the first seven because your offense was responsible for that. And then your defense, when they finally came on the field, had to enter on their own side of the field because Cleveland had the ball on Pittsburgh's 46-yard line after what? A turnover by the quarterback. Yet I still hear people people blaming this defense for what happened in that game. What? You try being a member of a defense who's down 7-0, you haven't stepped on the field yet, and oh yeah, you got to defend your own half because they're already four yards into your half of the field. Field position in the first quarter did not matter in that game. It was completely irrelevant. Right. How do you expect to win a game when field position from your defense's standpoint is irrelevant? That makes no sense. I agree. Yeah. I mean, the, the Steelers' offense did not do the defense any favors whatsoever. And then people come out and say, well, the defense gave up all those points to Cleveland's offense. It's like, what did the offense do? The offense didn't do anything. They were at 28 nothing. They're already in a hole. And it was because of turnovers. The, the importance of a running game. For this offense, it's really, and I'll, I'll come back to this again. Aditi Kinkabwala, love Aditi. You and I both love her. She was the one that had the the, the message from Ryan Tolner, uh, Ben's agent. She also had a tweet about the need for a running game and giving Ben a running game. And this is really important. But here's why this is important. There's two different ways to look at it. One, you can look at it as you need a run game to be successful because you need to possess the ball. That's the one thing. You can't just keep throwing it every snap. I know how Mummy tried for like 20 years. But you can't throw the ball every snap. Especially when your quarterback is turning it over left and right like this offense was toward the end of the season. The second thing is, if you're running the ball well, you can close games out better in the second half. Especially if you have a lead. You kill more clock. You kill clock. You bleed it out. During the Bill Cowher years, they they called it imposing their will. It's the same concept, but it still carries weight as far as having a running game and making it more potent. Here's why it becomes important. Now, Ben Roethlisberger, 157 wins as a starting quarterback. Now, do not take this as an endorsement for me endorsing the the thought of quarterback wins as a legit statistic because I think it's stupid. Wins are won by by a team, not by one person. But the Steelers have won 157 games that have been credited to Ben Roethlisberger. Let's put it that way. In those 157 games, he's completed 66.4% of his passes, which is right there in the sweet spot what you want for your quarterback, right? Right. 60 to 65%, maybe slightly above average or above what you want. 294 touchdowns, 94 interceptions. Quarterback rating of 102.8. That's in the 157 regular season games Ben has won. In the 75 losses, or should say 74 losses, and the one tie, that they've had with Ben Roethlisberger as their quarterback. 105 touchdowns, 108 interceptions. Oh, my. 61.1 completion percentage. Okay? That's just regular season games. In the playoff losses, I want to say it's the nine playoff losses that they've had under Ben Roethlisberger. It's what it's looked like. 
19 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. But in five of those nine losses, he has thrown at least two interceptions. This is why you need a running game for this quarterback. No, they're asking him to do too much, and they were doing it whenever he was younger, whenever you're going off these things. He was younger at this time. And they couldn't run the ball as effectively as they need to. And now you've completely abandoned the run where defenses know it. I mean, I was talking to—I think I was talking to you—and I said, "What's going to happen when defenses realize the Steelers can't throw the, or can't run the ball anymore?" Because we had people say, "Well, they don't need to run the ball. They're just have Ben throw the ball. I mean, that, that's all they got to do." <sighs> so, and I texted you. I was like, "Dude, when a defense figures out that they can't run the ball and they drop everybody, what's going to happen?" And then we saw what happened. Interceptions, inter- incompletions, and then they had to go result to screen passes against the Bengals and lose. That was the most existential I've ever seen you in the time I've known you, Greg. That was like the most existential question you've ever asked. But it was a great question. That sighing sound you heard me make when, when Greg mentioned how people said they shouldn't have to worry about it. Some of the people that were saying this are people who actually talk about this for a living. Just let that marinate. And we'll move on. But it... <laughs> And I don't want to beat a dead horse here. It really does come down to two two important things. One, they have to make this contract situation work because they can't build anything around this guy if he's taking up that much of their cap space. It's not about getting under the cap. It's about what you do once you get there. Because, okay, great, we're under the cap. Okay, fine. You still got to sign an entire draft class and fill a bunch of spots because you've got a bunch of dudes leaving. So do you have enough money to take care of all that? No. There's a problem. <laughs> and after you've re- after you've restructured contracts, you're going to restructure Cam. You're probably going to restructure Stephon to it. He's next. We know this. What are you looking at next? Oh wait, the quarterback's contract. That's a deal because um he's worth a forty one million dollar cap hit. You have to address the situation because even if he wasn't the quarterback, you would still have to address that situation. You're going to have to do it regardless. Because you have to bring other guys back to make this team better. The other thing I will point out, it's important to have this team be shaped well around Ben Roethlisberger because, once again, he's 38 years old. He's a year younger than me. Greg, I woke up this morning with my back, neck, and legs hurting for no reason. And people don't get paid to slam into me. He gets paid for rather large humans to slam into him on purpose. He ain't got much of this left in him. Right. So it's important that you actually build around them. Why do I say this? Because let's look at guys who have been on the tail end of their careers but have had some success with good teams. Your guy Peyton Manning, I know you're a huge Peyton Manning fan. He's one of them. Let's not kid ourselves. Denver won that that Super Bowl with Peyton Manning with the ghost of Peyton Manning, as I've been saying, because they could run the ball well and they could play really good defense. Yep. They won that championship because of that reason. And then a couple decades before that, with an older John Elway, they were able to win a championship because he had a really good offensive line with a couple all pros. Tom Nalen was on that group. Mark Schlereth was in that group. Ed McCaffrey, Rod Smith, two really good receivers. Hall of Fame tight end in Shannon Sharp. Hall of Fame running back in Terrell Davis. Really good defense on the other side of it. Steve Atwater, Hall of Famer. I'm trying to think of some of the other names on there. Bill Romanowski was on there. We could talk steroids if you want to. That's a whole other discussion. But that team had talent 
around him to make John Elway's job easier, and they went and did it twice. And one of the teams they went through on the way to winning a Super Bowl was the Steelers and beat them in Three River Stadium in the 1997 AFC Championship game. So we've seen teams do it before, but you have to build the team around that quarterback properly. I think it's fair to make the case what's going on in Tampa Bay with them bringing Brady aboard and then they built a team around it. Because it wasn't just because Brady showed up. No. It was because Brady showed up. He had a really good offensive line. He had two, three good tight ends, much less three or four really good receivers. He had a bunch of talent in, at running back. He had Shady McCoy's as running back, and Shady barely touched the field. Because Leonard Fournette was the starter. Yep. That's how much talent they had on offense. Chris Godwin. Mike Evans. Antonio Brown was further down the depth chart at wide receiver, and he caught a touchdown pass in the freaking Super Bowl. Two of them. Two of them. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski at tight end. O.J. Howard at tight end. Cameron Brait, who isn't really that bad of a tight end. It just happens his name is Cameron Brait, but he's a good tight end. Right. Yeah, depth at tight end. Then there's that defensive line, which I talked about this with Chris Carter on Locked On Steelers podcast. That defensive line was loaded. Indomitian and Sue, Vita Vea. Jason Pierre Paul. Jason Pierre Paul. They had they had this group of guys that didn't look too differently from the defensive line that kicked Tom Brady's butt in the Super Bowl for the Giants twice. Yep. Because what's going on now? Defenses are having three or four really good guys up front. Actually, it's usually more than four. It's probably five or six, and they interchange these guys in. Tampa had that. Tampa had really good athletic linebackers. Devin White, Levante David, who's been a good linebacker in this league for a while already. Tampa won that game because Tampa had a lot of talent. Tampa got to the Super Bowl because Tampa had a lot of talent, and Tom Brady was the guy that brought it together. You need the quarterback to be the guy that brings it all together, not brings it down. Yep. But in this particular case, they need the talent around Ben Roethlisberger to probably pull him up like Denver had to do with both John Elway and the ghost of Peyton Manning. I keep saying the ghost of Peyton Manning because I just want to see if you laugh at it. <laughs> but I say all that to say this. He's at a point of his career where he is not what he used to be. Tom Brady does not look like he's at the end of his career. Nope. Ben Roethlisberger, on the other hand, does. So let's stop comparing Ben to Brady as if Ben is Brady. Let's be honest. Ben still hasn't beaten Brady in the playoffs yet. I think I think Rivers looked better than Ben did this season, and Rivers I mean, just fair. and Rivers just checked out. So what does that tell you? Yeah. And you can make the case that Phillip Rivers had moments where he looked like Ben. He had moments where he looked like Ben, but for the most part, he looked better than Ben. Yep. I mean, you don't have to like Phillip Rivers. You don't have to. We're, they don't have to like what we're saying, but that doesn't make it any less true. And he also went to a team that had the weapons. He had the weapons around them. They and, had, and the Steelers are losing those now. That's a problem. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have T.Y. Hilton as a number one receiver, but as long as T.Y. Hilton is there, he becomes a threat. If T.Y. Hilton's gone, does Rivers have as great of a season? Does Indianapolis make the playoffs? Probably not. Uh, no, and if they don't draft Jonathan Taylor, they don't have a great. They don't have it either. So what did they have? Skill on the outside, a really good offensive line, and a running game, and a really good defense, and a really too. good defense. Yep. There you go. I mean, that's that's what you could say about all these playoff teams that got past the wild card round. It's, and, and to be fair, Indianapolis lost to a team that probably could have contended for a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Buffalo is as good of a team as you're going to see in the AFC. They have everything they need. Quarterback, skill position, talent, line totally rebuilt, really good defense. Buffalo has it. They will be back. The Bills will be back. I'm telling you that now. So don't act like you're surprised 
But you see him in the next season lighting up the AFC East. Because it's going to happen. It will. But th- that's the one thing that we're – and we've talked about a handful of teams right now, Greg, and they all have the same things in common. And those things that those teams have, the Steelers do not have them except for the defense. But they got to bring some of those guys back, and they got to figure out this, this situation with the quarterback's contract to make it work. We talk about kids in pitching with baseball, but in football, a lot of kids at quarterback, and that's the way that it's going now. I mean, other than Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers – Everybody else is lighting up the league, I would say, as a kid. Because you mentioned Phillip Rivers checking out. So did Drew Brees. Right. Brees just checked out, too. Right. So the older guys are checking out, except for Aaron Rodgers, because he just lit up the league, and Tom Brady, because he just lit up the league. Rodgers won MVP. Brady won the Super Bowl. Brady beat Rodgers to get there. And everybody else is young. Yeah. That's what's happening in this league now. Except for Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Vince Magic is the only one left. He's holding on, baby. He's holding on. He might be a starter for a team this year. Like that guy, that guy has an unreal resume. He just comes and rejuvenates teams. Like he seriously kept the Dolphins like on the edge for a while when they were on the brink. <laughs> and then he comes in like Mariano Rivera style and saves a freaking game for Tua. What about the what? what about when he was with Tampa Bay and he was lighting up the NFL for a couple weeks until he faced the Steelers? Like seriously? <laughs> Fitz Magic. Fitz Magic is a thing. It is. But I mean, we can, we can go round and round on this forever. But that that's we got to come to the reality that yes, no one is denying that Ben Roethlisberger has had an amazing amazing career. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. We know this. They went to three Super Bowls and won two of them with him. We know this. But at the same time, there was a point when New England decided to let Tom Brady walk. There was a time when the San Francisco 49ers decided to trade Joe Montana to Kansas City. There was a time when Indianapolis decided they had to move on from Peyton Manning. This is not the first time that a team's had an opportunity to walk away from a quarterback who's had a legendary career. Even when Drew Bledsoe got healthy again, New England said, sorry, Drew. We got this kid Brady. We got Brady now. And he was like, are you kidding me? I just lost my job. And then he went ahead and came in for an injured Tom Brady and beat the Steelers in the AFC championship. I love how the the response is, well, if Ben's gone, then we got to start all over. Exactly. That's how that works. That's what has to happen. <laughs> when Manning left, the Colts went and got Andrew Luck, and they started all over start again. started all over again. And they also were terrible for two seasons while Manning was hurt. And it was like, hey, we can't we can't risk this again. That's why they had to do it, because Manning just had neck surgery. And they go, if Manning gets hurt again, are we really going to throw Curtis Painter out there again and have a losing season again? No. So what did they do? They went and sucked for luck. They were terrible, and then they got Andrew Luck. The Steelers have to do something else. They cannot keep going, well, Ben is our guy, so we got to bring him back. Every year? What if Ben stinks this year, Josh? Are they going to bring him back again? They'll probably bring him back again, and fans will blame it on Mike Tomlin because that's what they always do. But let's bring it back to one central point. San Francisco with Joe Montana, the, the, the Patriots with Tom Brady, and the Colts with Peyton Manning all came back to the same principle. That one guy cannot be more important than the team. That's what it has to come around to. And part of me thinks Kevin Colbert's like, look, we want him back. But it's got to be the way we need him to be back. I I feel like Kevin Colbert might be the one guy that's like, yeah, we want him. We want to work a situation out. But I don't think they're just going for anything or everything. Right. And I think Kevin Colbert has to take that take. This, this, this organization cannot be beholden to one man. I don't I don't care how much of the city loves him. It's just not reality. 
And the teams that have embraced this with legendary quarterbacks have ended up better for it in the long run. That's the thing that's the more, most important part. We got to keep this moving because we got a lot of basketball to talk about. We got to talk about this week in the NBA. And I know you and I have discussed this at length as far as teams that we've liked earlier this season. But there is a team that we got to talk about, Greg, that really has, what's the word I'm looking for? Has really come back to kind of make you look like a liar there. They, they've kind of come back and, for, for, for lack of a better term, they've Goldschmitted you. And yeah. if you've listened to the show before, you, you probably know about the Paul Goldschmidt story. But you got a team in the NBA that Goldschmitted you. It's the Brooklyn Nets. They traded for Harden, and I said, and I also said this because they just lost to Cleveland. Yes. Like, and they turned the ball over like 25 times. I was like, this isn't going to work. But st- I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't do it off of one game, Greg. You just can't. But, yeah, I mean, they traded for Harden, and I thought, man, they just gave up Karis LeVert, who's really good. They gave up the Fro, who's really good, in uh, Allen. Jared Allen, right? That's his name? I think you're right. Yeah, Jared Allen. And it, that was their that was their backup center for DeAndre Jordan. So now they only had one big guy because everybody else was a power forward or a shooting guard because the Nets just shoot the ball. And they don't play defense. So I'm thinking, how is this going to work? They don't have a big man, so they're not going to be able to stop Giannis. They're not going to be able to stop Dr- – they couldn't stop Drummond. Drummond did whatever he wanted in that game. Yep. But now I look at it and I go, all right. They just beat the Suns down 24, and they didn't even have Kyrie or Kevin Durant. They just won eight games in a row, and they haven't had Kevin Durant in many of them. Kevin Durant's been hurt for over two weeks, and the and the Brooklyn Nets are still lighting up the league. This is true. They put up 129 points against the Magic the other day, and they only gave up 92. For a team that doesn't play defense, you would think it would be in a shootout. Right. But they won by more than 30 points. They're making me look stupid, and credit to them, man. They wanted James Harden, and Harden wanted to go there. They couldn't work it out in the offseason. They go, hey, we're able to make this work now, and we think that this is really going to help us. And I'm thinking they're going to have Joe Harris, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving in their lineup, all guys that really want to shoot the ball. And, oh, yeah, Kevin Durant, who's a star player. And we've seen that this doesn't work, especially when it's ball hogs. Kyrie Irving doesn't play well with anybody. He didn't play well with LeBron. Like, how is that possible? And they still want a title together somehow. There's that, but, like, no, I think you're right. It's when you have KD, Irving, and James Harden, you're wondering, like, wait a minute, there's only one ball. You have three shooters, and in Kyrie's case, a guy who can take people off the dribble, and one ball. How, how are they going to make this work, you know, sharing the ball? Now, the fact that Kevin Durant's been injured, it's kind of weird because, like you said, it's not like they have a lot of guys with size that can really make up for that difference not having Kevin Durant. They really they really have been going with a smaller lineup, and it's been working. This guy, Bruce Brown, has been ridiculously good for them. They're literally going with four guards and one forward. They have Irving, uh, Harden, Joe Harris, who's a shooter, Bruce Brown, who's not that tall, and they've been going with Jeff Green as their center, but Green just got hurt too. So they literally don't have any height. And they're bringing DeAndre Jordan off the bench. They pretty much became Duquesne like 12 years ago. Yeah. They're just going all guards, and uh, it's working. How is this working? It's it's incredible. Now, with with that said, let's just shift over and talk power rankings. Okay. Let's talk about our, our five teams 
that we think are the best in the NBA right now. This is like when we do hot sheet and we go one, two, three. <laughs> Utah. <laughs> yes, we agree. Utah is the number one team right now. Dude, where did they come from? Like, man, the, the Jazz are so good. And I don't know how, how they made it happen because they just had a bunch of guys that really ever heard of. Bogdanovich, really good shooter. Yes. Joe Inglis, really good shooter. You're like, who are these guys? Donovan Mitchell, lighten up the league. Mike Conley was really good at Ohio State, but really wasn't that great in the NBA, and now he's really rejuvenating his himself. And he was kind of a guy in Memphis who who really did not get the recognition for the role that he played. Right. He was not kind of he wasn't really the star guy that they had other guys like Because they had Marcus Soul. They had Marcus Soul, you know, they had Zebo, they had other guys that they can really lean on. Like Mike Conley was not expected to be that guy. He comes in to Utah and he becomes a guy averaging more than five assists a game, averaging a steal and a half a game. He becomes a guy who still plays a role, but it's a vital role as a veteran player for a team that really needed good veteran leadership and guys that could fill those roles. And Mike Conley does that, and we haven't even gotten to Rudy Gobert yet. Exactly. We haven't even talked about him yet. This is how good this team has been because you got John, Donovan Mitchell, not to mention Jordan Clarkson is the one splitting time on Mike Conley. So it's like you got a couple of really good point guards here and Clarkson's averaging 18 points a game. Clarkson probably wins sixth man of the year this year. Exactly. Like, we're, we're talking about a team that right now that has a lot of depth but doesn't really get recognition for it because most of these guys you hear about, you're like, who are these people? How about who's Royce O'Neal, too? Who's right. their power forward? And you're like, who's that guy? Right. He I mean, can knock down a three and guard LeBron. <laughs> I mean, and he's coming off. I mean, and here's the thing. He, he's starting a lot of games, but he's averaging seven and seven. So you're like, wait a minute. He's not averaging big numbers, but he's playing a vital role in being one of their key rebounders. Now, granted, Gobert's averaging 13, so it's like, all right, you know, whatever. But right behind him, averaging seven a game is Royce O'Neal. And then Derek Favors is averaging more than five. So you have guys that are filling specific roles. They're all doing certain things, and you talked about the shooters that they have. Dude, Utah's got everything. Dude, every time we watch Utah, we're just like, why are they always so open on three-pointers? Yes. It's because they have so many shooters. Yeah. We, we keep asking ourselves, are the Jazz really this good? I think they are. They are they're <laughs> this good. And we both have them number one. Who you got number two? Uh, I got to go Brooklyn just because of the hot streak they're on. I mean, and because I'm eating crow. So I'm trying <laughs> to get back on the Nets good side. <laughs> yeah. I See, I had Brooklyn number two, but I was really tempted to put someone else in number two. I put them down at number three. But I, I will give you number two just because of the way they're playing. They've won eight in a row, eight of their last ten. They don't have Kevin Durant. Yeah, they're doing this without Durant. That's so that's so much to me. And if there's one guy that you would guess this team couldn't afford to lose out of him, Kyrie, and James Harden, you would guess Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's the one guy they couldn't lose. Right. And they've lost him, and they've won eight games in a row. It, it's really a no-brainer. <laughs> number three, who you got? I got the Clippers. Really? Oh, yeah. The Clippers, uh, sure, they looked bad against Memphis the other day, but yeah. you're bound to have an off day one of these days, and it was a road game. And, you know, the, this league, not to get too far off topic, but the Lakers have come out and said how tired they are because of the way this league has been structured. They're yes. playing every other day. Yeah, It's not like only playing three days a week where you're playing on Monday and then you break until Thursday. No, they're playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sometimes back up again on Saturday. I mean, they don't have days off. So that's how this league has been structured this year because of coronavirus. And I get it. You have to get these games in. 
But you're going to see teams like, like this happen. But I just take the Clippers because you got Paul George lighting the league up. Kawhi Leonard is just a stud. Yes. Patrick Beverly is angering every point guard in the league. I mean, did you <laughs> see what he was doing to Russell Westbrook? I mean, Westbrook was shoving him in that game. He was like, dude, Pat Beverly was my teammate in Houston, and I don't like what he's doing to me right now. Pat Beverly is a guy <laughs> that when he's on your team, you love him, and when he is not, you hate yes. his guts. He makes point guards so angry. I love it yeah. man <laughs> and remember there's history with him and russell westbrook so they're going back to his oklahoma city days so right. there's history with that too and, and to your point we, we talked about how good utah is and how good brooklyn is the top three teams in the league in in point differential utah's number one plus 10 you're the only team that's above eight in point differential per game number two is milwaukee plus 7.6 number three the Clippers, plus 5.8 points per game differential. In they, the games, the points they score and the points they give up. They can play defense and they can score the ball and they have depth. I, we talked about depth and some people said to me, well, depth is so overrated in the NBA, you just need superstars. No. I highly disagree with that. I disagree with that. If you the, can have two really good units, you're going to give a lot of teams problems. The Clippers probably have the best bench in the league. If you're bringing Lou Williams and you're bringing, uh, what is it, Morris Sr. Is that Marcus, Marcus Morris Sr.? Marcus Morris, yeah. You have... Zubox, who's a seven-foot stud coming off the bench, who can get you rebounds and score underneath. Terrence Mann has been a really great guy for them at small four that comes in yeah. for Kawhi Leonard. And can score. And they've got Reggie Jackson. They've got two point guards with Lou Williams and Reggie Jackson who can score, distribute the ball, and play defense. And I feel like Reggie Jackson is more of a combo guard than he is a point guard. Right. I, I think that's. I think he's kind of a more of a hybrid in that regard. But it's I think you're right. They're and, loaded, man. And to your point, we talk about how good Golden State was during that dynasty run because oh they had Steph and they had Clay and Draymond Green and you know the Splash Brothers and Harrison and Barnes Harrison or Barnes. Kevin Durant. <laughs> I mean Grant Granite KD comes along and you know Andre Iguodala. But here's the thing. The thing that made Golden State good was that they could take their starters off the floor and put their second unit out there and still give teams problems with that second unit because of guys like Andre Iguodala. Sean Livingston. Because of guys like Sean Livingston. you They could still give a lot of teams a good run with their second unit and their big names off the floor. The Clippers have that feel to me of we can put our second unit out there and still run you ragged, do this at your own peril. That's what the, that's what the Clippers feel like. I agree. Now, with all that said, I don't have the Clippers number three. And this is going to come out and sound weird. I have the team that has the guy who might be the new favorite for the MVP. I got the Sixers number three. And I don't blame you. They're first in the East. I mean, I don't blame you at all. The only reason I took the Clippers was just because of how hot they've been in their last 10 and because they had depth. But Philadelphia right there for me, too. 17 and 5 against Eastern Conference teams. 14 and 2 at home. They are doing everything necessary, including scoring nearly 114 points a game. They're doing everything necessary to become a top team in a conference. You win conference games, you win at home. They're, they're you know, not that great on the road. Okay, fine. You know, they're right around 500 on the road. But Joel Embiid averaging nearly 30, 11 rebounds a game. A little bit more than a block and a steal per game. He's turned into a, a, a MVP candidate. Ben Simmons is averaging almost eight assists and one and a half steals a game. 
Tobias Harris is averaging 20, whom I'm glad that they brought back because I thought Tobias Harris was a really good piece for this team. Oh, absolutely. He was he was being held back whenever he was with Detroit because he was playing for Detroit. <laughs> right. And, and here's what they did, though. Like, in Ben Simmons averaging, uh, eight, averaging almost eight assists, averaging eight rebounds and almost 16 points a game. Ben Simmons probably is, what, their second or third best player. I mean, he's probably number two. Let's not kill ourselves. But then what they did, what the Sixers did, the same thing the Clippers have done, the same thing the Jazz have done. They went back and added depth. They brought in Seth Curry, who's a decent three-point shooter. He's averaging 13 a game. They brought in Danny Green. They brought in Dwight Howard off the bench. Dwight Howard's coming off the bench for this team. That doesn't seem fair. And he's averaging seven and a half rebounds a game. Yep. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> I mean, and we haven't even talked about Matisse Tybull. Like, He's a guy who's playing 18 minutes a game. But they have guys that can play a lot of minutes that can come off the bench and be a really good second unit. Yeah, I agree with you. The The Sixers have tons of depth, and just like you talked about with Howard, Embiid gets hurt a lot, so they knew that they had to get a center. So Dwight Howard's a pretty good option for a guy that's going to play off the bench when Embiid gets into foul trouble, or if he gets hurt, you can put him into the lineup and not skip a beat because he's still Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard can play you 15 and 20 minutes in a game, and you don't really miss that much. Right. You might miss Embiid scoring, but they got other guys that can pick up the load from the scoring aspect. Exactly. Tobias Harris, really good scorer, can do everything. Ben Simmons, so good at distributing the ball and driving. This is a point guard that literally could be a small forward Yeah. because of his height. And I, I like the fact that Ben Simmons has found a way to shut the noise out because there, there's been this habit of people – finding ways to pick at Ben Simmons' game. Oh, he doesn't have an outside shot. Oh, and he can't do this, and he can't do that. Ben Simmons is like, you know what? I'm going to just do what I do. And he has guys around him that he can help succeed exactly. by just doing what he does and being who he is. Right. And this team is so much better for it. So I I, I don't think he cares that he's not the number one guy. I don't think he cares that Embiid's the number one guy because he can help Embiid be the number one guy and help his team win 14 out of 16 games at home and 17 out of 22 games in their own conference to be number one in the East. I agree with you. That's why I have them at four. Fair so, enough. So Nice segue. Reason. Who's who's your four? Uh, my four is the Clippers, actually. Okay. I got so the we, Clippers at four. So we flip-flop there. Yeah. And then I believe we both have Phoenix at five. We do both have Phoenix at five. And Phoenix is another one that's really gotten hot. Shout out to Steve Banco. We know that's your, we know that's your squad. Um, eight of their last ten. They're another team that actually is pretty good in point differential. They're right behind the Clippers. The Clippers were third in point differential. The Suns are fourth, 5.4. So there's another thing. They did the same thing, too. They went and got Chris Paul to rejuvenate that offense, and he hasn't skipped a beat with the Suns. I I like, and and I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not always the biggest fan of Chris Paul. I was a fan of Chris Paul at Wake Forest. You know, I stopped being a Chris Paul fan. I'm going to just come out and say it. When Chris Paul started becoming notorious for hitting dudes in the junk, I stopped being a Chris Paul guy. That's fair, because we don't like we don't like those kind of people on this show. <laughs> it's just, you know, he's like Butters in South Park. You just can't go around doing that. But the Suns got smart. They brought Chris Paul in, and they added depth doing it. I mean, you look at this roster, you're like, wait a minute. All these guys play on the same team? Like, Devin Booker, Michael Bridges, Chris Paul, um, Dario Saric, who, by the way, is, is starting to do his thing coming off the bench. DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton. Cam Johnson's on this team. Mm-hmm. Jay Crowder's on the team. You look at the team and go, they got all these guys on the same roster? Like, wait a minute, how does this work? And, and honestly, from Phoenix's standpoint, Devin Booker's averaging 25 points a game, 
And you look at it and say, okay, well, you know, that makes sense from the shooting guard spot, Chris Paul at point guard. But then you still look around, you have Aiden averaging 14 and almost 12, and Cam Johnson, and Darius Hodge. They have, what, seven guys averaging double figures a game. Mm-hmm. And that's not counting the fact that you got guys like Frank Kaminsky and, and Javon Carter coming off the bench. This is a team that actually has done a, found a way to build a lot of depth, but they built depth for the identity that they have. Right. Because the Suns aren't like your normal team. They're going to spread it out. They're going to let it fly. They're going to jack up a lot of shots. They're going to shoot some threes here and there. And you're going to have guys who just get hot, and when that guy gets hot, they just keep feeding that guy. And honestly, that entire team is shaped around that, which can be great some nights and awful some other nights. But to their credit, they've been great more nights than they've been awful. But the great is really good, and the awful is really bad. Like, there's some days when, like, if I want to know what happened to the Suns game, I just follow Steve Banko's timeline. I'm like, uh-oh, Banko's not happy. It's not a good <laughs> night for the Suns. But it's one of those things where it's like two out of three games are really good. And in one, you're like, what the hell's going on with the Suns? Right. But they're still my number five right now. Same here. All right. And then your teams that, that are letting you down. Um, It's weird because, you know, there would have been a time when I would say, man, what are the Suns doing? Because I'm talking about the two games that are good and the one that's bad. I can't make Milwaukee out. I can't either. I can't make them out. It's like, I, I don't get it. I think teams might have figured out Giannis. I don't know. I don't know because he is not able to be a one-man wrecking crew anymore to win them games. And they have a lot of shooting on that team. But when they go cold, they go cold. Yeah. And it, that's what's been happening whenever they lose these games. They I, just can't make anything. I kind of feel the same way about Milwaukee that I do about Phoenix. They have a couple games. They'll have one game when it's like, okay, that's Bucks. That's what we expect. Right. And another game, it's like, okay, they're not great, but they still won. And there's another game. You're like, what is going on in Milwaukee? They're getting blown out by Sacramento. What am I watching like, right what, now? What is happening right now? It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yep, yep. I don't know what they are. I don't either. I'm with you there. I, I, have, a, I have a number of teams in the East. I got Boston because I really can't figure out Boston. Boston, for everything they are, we, we know what Boston's short, shortcomings are. Like, we kind of know what they are. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of young talent. They just haven't put it together yet. And we know that, like, some of that talent just really isn't ready. If you have Kemba, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, in my opinion, you should be pretty good. You and should be a good team. And they're not right now. But the thing is, it's like you look at those three guys and you go, okay, what else can you really throw at me past that that's going to make me worry? Right. And I think that's what it is with Boston. And when Marcus Smart hurt, that hurts their that hurts their depth. That is the huge thing. Like Marcus Smart was at least supposed to be one of the guys that can help tie all this together, and it's just not happening the way it's supposed to. So I, for that's one of the reasons why I kind of look at Boston and say, okay, like I kind of give them a pass. Same way I give Denver a pass because Denver's got a ton of injuries. They right. do, and they I do. really like what the Nuggets are. You and I've talked about this a lot. Denver's may be a really good like a star away from being a quality team. Because Denver's got depth and they've got talent. But you're just maybe that one guy. If they can get that one guy who can become a consistent number one, he's the guy that's going out there that you're building everything around him every night, I look at Denver differently. If they could if they could get a shooting guard or a small forward that just takes some bodies off of Jokic all the time right? and Jokic doesn't have to do so much, I think you're right. I mean, Jamal, Jamal Murray is on his game. You have that. But Murray has been so hit or miss lately that you can't figure out what they are whenever it comes to that. And then Jokic has to do so much that teams are just double-teaming him and going, all right, you're, I'm, we're going to make somebody else beat us. The other night when they played the Wizards, 
three seconds left in the game. It's lit- There was a picture. There's four guys underneath the basket. Mm-hmm. All Jamal Murray had to do was pass the ball, lay up, or go into overtime. Nobody broke to the basket. No Everybody stood at the three-point line, and they lose the game because they take a terrible shot because they don't have leadership on that team. And it's weird because you look at Paul Millsap being on this roster like, oh, man, that's Paul Millsap. But here's the thing. If you're talking Paul Millsap six, seven years ago, Maybe you feel differently about it. Utah Jazz, Paul Millsap. This is not Utah Paul Millsap. So it's like, he can't be that guy. And I don't expect Jamal Murray, and you talked about it, as streaky as Jamal Murray could be. But when he heats up, man, it's fun to watch. Right. It really is fun to watch him heat up. How many times have you talked about him, especially on, on days when you got money on the Nuggets? You're like, dude, here comes Jamal Murray. <laughs> they might be able to cover this one. You know, it, it kind of makes that kind of makes you feel that way. Same thing with Michael Porter Jr., whom I really like. But do you look at him consistently enough to say, okay, with Jokic, Porter, Murray, they can tie it all together? Not really, because I think I'm with you. They need another guy in that front court, whether it's a three or a four, that can really take some of the heat off Jokic and at the same time maybe make up for some of those nights when Jamal Murray isn't at his best or when Michael Porter Jr. might not be the best option. If they can find one more guy to kind of take that pressure off the rest of them, Denver becomes a much better team. We got to move on from this topic, but I just have I just have to get off. I just have to say one thing. Uh-oh. Here we go. So Min- Minnesota is my favorite NBA team. I don't really know why anymore. It's just torture now. The fact that they are 7 and 26 just makes me angry. And when I watch this team and I see the players that they trot out onto the floor, I go, "All right, Carl Anthony Towns, very good. Malik Beasley, he's awesome. D'Angelo Russell, he's great. And then I see that this team is 7-26. and 26. Malik Beasley is now going to be suspended for 12 games. Mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell is out with an injury. I have no idea what Anthony Edwards is as the number one pick. I hear commentators go, man, I really like this kid, but all he he's not afraid to shoot. And then I look and he goes 4 for 16 from the floor. Because he just kept shooting the ball. Because at Georgia, all he would do is pull up from three and make it because it was college basketball and he could light up the league. But in the NBA, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. How many more times do I have to sit through this and go, well, Timberwolves have the number one pick again, so that's cool. And then they they do a terrible job at drafting their number one pick. How many more times do I have to sit through this? I'm so close to just saying – until the Timberwolves prove to me that they are worth my time, I'm not watching them anymore. I've had enough of this, Josh. It's like Filipponi with the Mets. Whenever he had his, <laughs> whenever he had his, he goes, you know, Cespedes just got hurt again, literally on his farm. Why do I follow this team? Now we have a reason to follow them. They're actually going to be pretty good this year. But why do I care about the Timberwolves anymore? I, I, I can't. I can't do it anymore. They just make me angry. You I know, can't do it anymore. I look at the Timberwolves. You know who they remind me of? Who do they remind you of? They can't, They have a Knicks vibe to them. They have a very New York Knicks of the past decade vibe to them. Yeah. No matter how many chances you give them, turn it around. They just can't figure it out. Now. They had that one good season mm-hmm. when they had Carmelo Anthony in New York and the Knicks were lighting up the league. Right. The Timberwolves had Jimmy Butler and they made the playoffs. It was like, hey, the future is bright. And then the whole thing blew up. The whole but- thing blew up. Butler is like, I'm not playing for you guys anymore. And he leaves. 
And what did they give up? They gave up Zach Levine, who's now a stud for the Bulls. He's who, killing it, by Chicago. the way, is going to the All-Star game. Yes, he is. Would love to have that guy as my shooting guard right now. He, he might be the guy you need to make a difference on this team right now, especially without Malik Beasley for the next dude, games. Dude, I can't. We got to move on. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's jump ahead to this. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we got a few more things to talk about. I want to get into college basketball because there's something happening right now with Pitt that Pitt basketball fans are, are really concerned about. But I need to may have a little reminder of, you know what? It, it's time to put some things in perspective. Plus, we got to talk MLB, and we got to play our favorite news headline game. This is Episode 6 of the Sunday Morning Grind. See you in a few. Back here on the Sunday Morning Grind, please let us know what you think about the podcast. Interact with us on Twitter. I don't know how many feelers I could throw out there, Josh. I've been trying. I'm like, hey, people, talk to us. Drop a rating for us while you're at it, too. Wherever you get your podcast, drop a rating for us. Drop some comments. Let us know what's going on. This is something that we're still trying to get a good grasp on and work out the kinks with, but you know, we know you guys appreciate it. We brought this back because we know you guys love the show so much on Sunday mornings on the radio side. And we missed each other. And we, we did. We missed working together. This is true. Because, you know, Greg ended up getting a much more fun job and leaving me. But that's okay. I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, no, it's it's this is something. It's it's kind of become a labor of love for us because it's just something that we always enjoy doing. And we know how many people love the show in previous days, in previous years. So, to be able to do this now, it's kind of more convenient for both of us, too. It is. There's that whole thing. There's no commercials either. So right. So, we, we can have... just, and just keep talking. Exactly. All right, so we're going to move on now to the pit players transferring with Xavier Johnson and Audis Tony now transferring. This is not this is not new for college basketball. It's not, but and this is one of those things where I I got to draw pit fans in. And now pit fans, I get it. This is not what you're used to. You live through the Kevin Stallings era. The Jeff Capel era right now looks maybe at its darkest, which is saying a lot. Because Audie's Tony is, is transferring. Xavier Johnson's transferring. And by all indications, I don't think any of us expect Justin Champagne to be in blue and gold next year. I expect him to probably be in the NBA. Same here. That's that's what I'm expecting. So this team that was that people had so much expectation for this season, I get why. Excuse me. I get why people look at this team if you're a Pitt fan and you you start to wonder, are we going back to the dark days? And and my answer to that is you got to let this play out because first of all, if you listen to how Jeff Capel was talking about what's going on with the, the guys that are transferred, he talked about he's like, you know, it was a conversation. They felt some kind of way. We felt some kind of way. We felt it was mutually beneficial for these guys to move on. That's kind of how they felt. Which leads me to believe that there's some things that these players are feeling that aren't meshing well with what the with what the coaching staff wants. And there's some things that are happening that aren't meshing well with what the program wants. When you saw the last game that Xavier Johnson played in, and Jeff Capel was asked later on about the technical fouls he keeps getting, he's like, I keep telling him, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop talking to the refs. And it, he, he sounded like a guy that's just like, you know what? I don't know what to tell him anymore. He sounded like a guy who's giving up on someone. Right. So you 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 hear stuff like this and you wonder, okay, well, what's going on here? Maybe this is just something Pitt needs. When you have a turnover in coaching like Pitt's had, 
you are going to have some things that change. You're going to have some guys that leave. You're going to have guys that don't jive with the new coach. And I get that part. Now, from that part, I, I get why there's some frustration. On the other side of it, with Pitt, the, the players transferring, with Tony and, and Johnson transferring, let, let's let's relax here for a second. Because, it, and, and Pitt fans, you can get mad at me. At this point, I don't care. Like, I live in a city where Pitt fans think I hate them. Penn State fans, I think I hate them. Meanwhile, WU's like, yeah, you're cool. <laughs> you know why? Because for, for a small sidebar, WVU fans, they embrace their dysfunction. They're like, dude, we know we ain't normal. We know we've never won a national championship. We know our coach is crazy. Well, I shouldn't say crazy, but we, we know our coach don't care. We know Bob Huggins is who he is. We know. We are who we are. And they embrace it, and they live it, and they're cool with it. But Pitt fans, I I, I, I got to remind you of this. Yeah, two of your best guys are leaving. Guess what? It's happening all over the area. West Virginia lost Oscar Sheboy in the first half of the season. What was that, what, November, December? When Sheboy decided to, decided to opt out and he's transferring to Kentucky? He's leaving West Virginia to go to Kentucky. Bob Huggins. His best, his best interior guy is going to play for his old buddy, Coach Cal, in Lexington. Like, and that happened early in the season. And the crazy part is West Virginia's still winning games. Right. West Virginia's right. They were mocked as a three seed like a couple weeks ago in a tournament. So, like, you're not the only one suffering from this. Duquesne lost Sincere Carey, their point guard, which might have been the glue that held the whole thing together, and Lamar Norman, one of their best shooters, within, what, a week of each other? Like, this is not anything that's that crazy. Not to mention the fact, Robert Morris, God bless Andy Toole, anytime his team is remotely good, his best players are gone. They are up and out. Remember they went to the tournament maybe about a half decade ago? And that next season, all that good, like all those good players were gone? Right. Andy Toole has to rebuild like every other year. Most coaches of average to good to great programs, they reload every four or five years. Andy Toole literally every other year. And not to mention, in fact, A.J. Brahma, RMU, a couple years ago, entered the transfer portal. Pitt fans, I get how you're frustrated, but you're not the only one going through this. It's happening everywhere. Programs everywhere are having guys enter the transfer portal. This season is not normal. You can't treat this season as if it's normal. It's not like it was last year where everything started out okay and then February, March came around and everything fell apart where literally conference tournament games had to stop in the middle and pull guys off the floor. This isn't last season. It started under these circumstances. So we knew the season was starting crazy. Not to, you know, not towards this as a thing. But this season, and, and Paul Zeiss and I talked about this on, on the, the, um, the, the nightly sports call. You almost have to throw this season out as far as just the isolated stuff this year. Because a lot of people just... They're just not responding to it the way you expect them to because the season's not the same way. But this whole thing where we're acting like the sky's falling, Pitt fans get in line. This is happening to everybody in the area. And you hate to say this to an ACC team, but welcome to life as a not top-tier team because good teams are going to come and poach your talent. Get in line. It happens all the time. Oh, you lost Xavier Johnson and you lost Audie's Tony? Tell that to Duquesne when they lost TJ McConnell 12 years ago. Who's he, now in the NBA. And went to Arizona and played for Sean Miller and now is in the NBA with the Pacers. Hey, what? Come and sit down with the rest. You're one of us now. Come, come hang out with us. Come hang out with RMU. Come hang out with St. Francis. 
Okay, bad example. But come have a seat with the rest of us, man. Come live life like the rest of us. Now you know how the other half lives. And maybe you should keep that in mind next time you're scheduling teams. That's all I'm saying. Moving on. All right. We like to talk about baseball. We talked about that already. And and why do we like to talk about baseball? Because we love baseball, Because we love baseball, Greg. So, with spring training starting up today, with the Pirates starting up in a couple of hours from when this podcast dropped. Yep. We're going to preview the NL Central first because we're from Pittsburgh and we're just going to rip the Band-Aid off first. (laughs) We need to. We need to. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to hit you with an over-under, and you're going to tell me what you think. All right? Okay. So we're going to start with the St. Louis Cardinals. All right. A team that went out and got Nolan Arenado. To add to already having Paul Goldschmidt, they probably have arguably the best corner infield in Major League Baseball. You can make an argument that the Padres have one that's just as good, mm-hmm. and I'd listen to it, but I'd say Goldschmidt's better than Eric Hosmer. But you can make the case Arenado and Manny Machado, like, pound for pound. I'd give I'd give Arenado the edge just because he's that much better defensively. But, yeah, I think you're right. This is as good of a corner group you're going to find in the league. 86.5 is the over-under. Who? What do you like? I will go slightly over. All right, I'm going to keep score on this, and at the end of the year, we're going to tally this up, all right? Yeah, that, that works. We're not, we're not putting money on this, though. This I'll, is just for fun. I'll say Cardinals slightly over, only because for two reasons. One, bringing in Nolan Arenado should make this this team better offensively. They brought Yadier Molina back, which was interesting. He's going to play his 18th season. He's probably still, what, a top eight catcher in MLB? Right. Which is crazy. Um. You know, they, they've found ways to still have guys on this team that can play. They still have Paul DeYoung. They still have Harrison Bader. They still got a couple guys that can play. You still have Matt Carpenter, who's probably going to be in somewhat of a, a, a utility role. They still have Adam Wainwright on that rotation. They still got, and now granted, you're like, wait a minute, does that work? You still got Jack Flaherty, who can throw to, who can just throw the pill. You got Miles Michaelis. You got some really good starters. You got a good bullpen. You still have Carlos Martinez. You, you still have a couple guys that can pitch on this team. And let's not kid ourselves, you still have Andrew Miller. You got guys. And Jordan Hicks. You have Jordan Hicks. You have guys on this staff that can throw. The Cardinals, I can see them getting to June or July, and they're like, okay, what do we need? And they go make a move or two. And like, wait a minute, this team can win the pennant now? What yep. happened? Yep. I'm with I'm with you 100%. Yeah. I, I like the over, especially the fact that this division is going to be so bad. Somebody has to win it, and somebody has to finish above 500. And I think the Cardinals – are going to do that, and I think they I think they could win 90 games. They're going to win a lot of division games. Yeah. But winning 90 games can win you this division. The Reds at 82-and-a-half. I am taking the over, but not by much. That's another slight over. I could see the Reds winning 85. And it, it was interesting because you saw other teams in the division kind of sending pieces off and kind of dismantling, and the Reds started to do it, and they're like, oh, wait, we won't give everybody away just yet. <laughs> They, they started, like, slowly chipping away at it, and then they changed their mind, like, midstream. And it's it's interesting because I think Cincinnati's one of those teams that a couple years ago, you're like, Cincinnati's got talent. They might be able to make a run here, and they just they couldn't seem to put it together. But the thing I liked about them is that they were tailored to play at Great American Ballpark. You get a bunch of guys that can just pop one out on one swing. And it made yep. it fun to watch that team. But now you're looking at it going, wait a minute, they're, they're kind of selling off guys that you didn't expect them to sell off, and... They didn't replace Bauer. That's my they, biggest they problem. They didn't replace Trevor Bauer. They don't yeah. have 
a good back end of the rotation. You've got Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo, and then after that, they stink. And I really like Luis Castillo. Same. Really like He's him. He's very good pitcher. Yeah. But Tyler or with with Malley, Wade Miley, and Michael Lorenzen is your back of the rotation. I you, you it, it sounds like we're we're trying to put bodies in here. That's what it sounds like. It doesn't sound like to the tune of what the Pirates have done, mm-hmm. but it sounds like you're trying to put bodies in to at least try to preserve some semblance of an MLB rotation. So we both go slightly over. We both go slightly over, and we both feel like they'll probably finish in second place. Brewers also 82 and a half. Dude, how many more years are they going to throw out Woodruff, Burns, and Adrian Hauser and think that it's going to be enough? I'm going under for that reason. Same. <laughs> the offense will be okay. I think Yelich has a bounce back year after last year not being very good. But, dude, th- that rotation's so bad. They're not going to win games with Adrian Hauser. <laughs> I ask this question every year. When's the last time Milwaukee was that daunting because of their starting pitching? been a long time you know when you know when the last time was cc sabathia when they had cc for like eight weeks and he was their pitching staff and they had ben sheets so they had those two working that's for it. them yep. that's really it yep i remember there was a time when they traded for k-run it was like oh the brewers got k-run okay is he starting for him nope no then let's not talk about it yep. good as your closer if your starters can't get to the sixth inning yep who cares exactly but yeah i got under on the brewers cubs 79 and a half uh i'm taking the under because again what is this rotation? I, they have Zach Davies now in their rotation. And they traded you, Darvish. What? <laughs> huh? It's like the Reds. They didn't replace getting rid of your best guy. They just moved everybody up a spot, and they got Zach Davies in that trade. And how many times were they ruined, rumored to move Chris Bryant? A lot, and they didn't do it. And guess what? You know what I expect to happen more during the season? More rumors of moving Chris Bryant because he's about to be a free agent. He's making, what, like $16 million this year? Right. I could see him and Hendricks get moved. And the Cubs are already trying to act like rich Uncle Pennybags with their pockets out like they ain't got any money. This is not going to end well. The Cubs might end up selling pieces off. So you're taking the under? I'm taking the under. And then the Pirates. Oh. We, we will definitely get more into this when we do our Pirates preview at the beginning of the season. Yes. But for lack of time... I'm taking the under. The rotation is going to be not good, and that's being nice. Now, what, what's the what's the number for the over under? Just for the fifty eight and a half. You're taking the under fifty eight and a half. I'm taking the under on that. You do realize that is like MLB historically bad. I do, and I think that that's what this team is going to be. Like that's worse than the Mets team that went sixty two and a hundred, which yeah. I'm sure you're well aware of. <laughs> I had to throw that out there. No, Josh, I didn't know about that. I, I figured I was just, you know, giving you some basis for foundation here. Look, man, this rotation just does not excite me at all. I, I don't I don't disagree. That bullpen is hot garbage. If Rich Rod is the closer, I have big problems again. Me personally, I expect it to be Cal Crick. I expect Cal Crick to be their closer. Should be. Or it should be David Bednar if we're really talking about what it should be to see what you have. Now, here's the thing. If it ends up being a guy like David Bednar, here's why I don't want it to be David Bednar, because he's good, they may move him and try to get value back. Okay. Because any guy that that comes in that's not, like, older than 24 years old and plays well, they're going to try to sell him off and get value back for him because that's what they're doing. They're trying to accumulate talent. You and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. I can't see this team being all-time bad. <laughs> I can see them being bad. I can see them losing some games they have no business losing. 
But as long as they're playing in this division with the Cubs who have no starting pitching, the, what they have a little bit of starting pitching, the Brewers who have no starting pitching, the Reds who didn't replace their starting pitching, they're going to go on some small runs here, winning five or six a pop. That's just like, they're really doing this? Like, just relax. They they swept the Reds and took two out of three with the Cubs. Like, take it easy. <laughs> but I see those periods happening one week and then them losing four in a row the next week. So you're so, taking the over. I'm taking the over. I'm I'm thinking between, like, 62 and 65. Because below 60 wins, it's like, that is really, really, really bad. And I don't think they're going to be that bad specifically because of what they have around them. I agree with you. All right. Well, I, I don't agree with you. You don't agree I'm with the numbers, it. but you see the rationale. Yeah, I see the rationale. All right. Because we agree that this division sucks. <laughs> you hear the music. So you know it's time to get crazy. It's time to play our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? Here's how we do it. Greg and I, we, we pay attention to things that are happening during the week. We might see a story. We might hear a report. We might hear something said. We might just make an observation, and it causes us to put these things down on paper and ask ourselves, is this something we should take seriously? Is this is this a thing? Or is it indeed fake news? Let's talk about it. Greg, what do you got? Okay, so we're a little pushed for time, so I'm just going to do my favorite one, okay? Go for it. The uh, There was a report the other day from NBC Sports that NFL teams are legit calling the Houston Texans oh, man. and leaving voicemails on the answering machine like, hey, it's uh, it's like, you know, 1230 in the afternoon right now. This is the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're just uh, <laughs> we're calling to inquire uh Deshaun Watson, we're just wondering uh, if you want to make a deal. So if you want to call us back, here's our phone number. This is how they're doing it now. Greg, you <laughs> sounded like you sounded like someone trying to sell me window treatments. <laughs> that's what you sound like. But that's a team trying to make a pitch to trade for Deshaun Watson. It's like Moneyball. Whenever Brad Pitt's just calling up everybody, <laughs> he's like, "Get me, the, get me Brian Sandberg on the line right now." Yeah. All right, hey, who do you want? All right, let's do it. That's what these teams are doing now. And I don't think the Texans are picking up the phone. They're just letting it ring. <laughs> it's it's incredible. Like, when you've gotten to this point, and honestly, I, I kind of feel bad for Deshaun Watson because it's like you figure he hold all, he holds all the cards. But I don't know if he does right now. Like if, if he really wants to try to exert some kind of power, his only step might be to just physically not show up if they decide not to trade him. Because there's a chance that they might not actually trade him. He, there's a chance. He wants to get traded, but at the end of the day, they don't have to trade you. They don't. But if he doesn't show up, <laughs> they're really out of luck if they he, don't have a quarterback. <laughs> he could go Carson Palmer his last days in Cincinnati and not show up and really force their hand to trade him. Yep. That's probably what Anto- could. Antonio Brown, too. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what I think could happen. And the crazy part about it is I think this is a thing. Yeah, I it, do, It's too. kind of funny, like, to imagine it because it seems weird, like, you know, it's like one of those like scam robocalls you get on your voicemail, but it's like the NBA hotline in the bubble. <laughs> oh man! You want to report what Jimmy Butler? What's he doing? He's dribbling his basketball around in his room. <laughs> I, I I agree. I think this is a thing. Let's shift over. We got to go back to baseball. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I'm gonna do this to myself. Okay. Baseball America. I believe this is Baseball America. Let me double-check that to verify this is sure because I'm going to look at this, this story. Says, yes, BaseballAmerica.com. Travis Sawchick, former Pirates beat writer for the Trib, whom I used to work with Travis, hosted a baseball podcast with him. Good guy. 
wrote about the Pirates and pretty much what they're doing with Ben Charrington as a new GM. It's called Ben Under Ben Charrington Pirates Return to Extreme what Pirates Return, let me get this outright. Pirates Return to Extreme Risk Reward Roadmap. And he talks about how Ben Charrington's ability or I should say his plan to acquire so much young talent and how they're trying to reload the system. I know here, where this is going. <laughs> here, here's one quote that, that Charrington talked about. He said, I think it's the mindset of practice. When we think about practice, whether type of practice it is, the only thing that matters is that practice is a benefit and there's reasons to believe it has a benefit. Doing things because they've always been done isn't a good enough reason. Every team in baseball is thinking about development differently. But in this story that Travis Sawchuk wrote, now remember, Travis has a pretty good understanding of what the Pirates did in the earlier part of the previous decade. He talked about how the Pirates tried to do this with Garrett Cole, with Jamison Tyone, with Andrew McCutcheon hitting his stride in his prime, with Pedro Alvarez, who was a top five pick, how they tried to do this with top five picks and it just did not happen the way they planned it to. However, when you look at teams that have won in the previous decade, what did they do? Chicago had a bunch of top 10 picks and they did, they, they did well with them. Houston had a bunch of top five picks. They did well with them. Travis even went further to talk about the Royals. The Royals used a collection of early draft picks, this is what Travis wrote, and prospects acquired in trades to build one of the best farm systems of the century and ultimately deliver the 2015 World Series title. The Giants' three World Series titles teams were anchored by top 10 overall picks like Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner, and Tim Lincecum. He also brought up how the Pirates have a lot of teenagers that they've brought back in these trades that they've had. And this is something else that looks like they're just acquiring a lot of younger players. I say all that to ask this question. Ben Charrington literally confirming the kids' side of kids in pitching. Greg, is this a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. And I hope that he holds off on the kids in pitching until you actually get to ask him. I think it'll break your heart if the guy literally says, we're implementing kids in pitching, unless you're the one that asked that question. Folks, folks, if you follow my work on TV, if I get a chance as a, as a reporter to talk to Ben Charrington, I'm going to ask him, are you pretty much trying to build this team around kids in pitching? I'm going to ask him the question. It's going to happen. And, and I'm going to lose my mind when I hear it. <laughs> and he's going to he's he's going to answer it. And if it is the answer that I'm looking for, we're going to play it on this show. It's going to happen. Yep. I'm warning you now. By the way, yes, I think it's a thing. And I want you to text me whenever you have the opportunity <laughs> to tell me that you are in the press conference right now and you go, Greg, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and when I say that, you'll know exactly what I mean. Yeah. I'll you will like, know exactly like, what I'm talking you're about. You're doing what, Josh? <laughs> Greg, I'm going to do it. I might I might put like dot, 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 just so you know, like for drama I'll be, I'll be like, what is he doing? Oh, he's going to ask Ben Charrington. <laughs> Kids in pitching, folks. It's going to go on a T-shirt soon. Just expect it. Moving on to hot sheet real quick. Yeah, let's close out with hot sheet. All right. Bruins at the Rangers, 12 o'clock puck drop. Who you got? Um, You know I have gone away from trusting the Bruins. Didn't I pick Philly to beat them last night? Yes, you did, and I took a commanding 4-1 to one lead on you after last week. No kidding. Wow. <laughs> you went 1-4, and four, I went 4-1. And, one. and, and Flyers was the only one I got? No, Flyers were wrong. They got blown out. They oh, lost 7-3. That's right. Seven to three. That's right. Okay. I forget which one you got, right? I think you got Philly and I took Toronto. Or it was the other way around. Oh, okay. The Sixers and Raptors. Okay. Um, so are you taking the Rangers or the Bruins? I'm going to stick with picking against Boston and go with the Rangers. And I'll probably be wrong again because Good, I, picked the wrong, I picked the wrong time to trust Boston. I'm glad because I'm taking Boston. <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. Uh, here's, here's what I'm looking forward to. 
3.30, ABC, Clippers at the Bucks. Oh, God. Two teams that we just talked about. This will um, be a good game. I'm taking Clippers. You would take Clippers. Of course I would. Because I don't know what the Bucks are, and we just talked about that. That's why I'm taking the Clippers. This is another one of those caveats, assuming that assuming Paul George and Kawhi Leonard play in this game, which I think they will. I'll go Clippers. Okay. I don't see them missing that one. Iowa at Ohio State. Ohio State loses to Michigan State. After losing to Michigan. Yep. But Iowa gets their doors blown off by Michigan after losing the week before. It, <laughs> so I don't really know what to do. I'm taking the home team. I'll take the Buckeyes. I'll go Ohio State, too. I don't see them going on that kind of a losing streak, and I'm starting to not trust Iowa, especially on the road. I think the lesson we got from the past couple weeks is that Michigan is really, really good, which is the first time we've said anything about Michigan like that in a long time. <laughs> right. Penguins at Islanders. I'm taking the Penguins because uh, Saturday they're going with, they went with Jari, so I'm guessing to Smith today. But the Islanders go with Varlamov on Saturday. They're going with their backup. That's why I'm taking the Penguins. I'll go with that, too. I'll, I'll say Penguins. Plus, they're starting to adapt to the Islander style and really play well. Okay. The Bulls at the Raptors. Dear God, Chicago. I like what Chicago's doing. I'm going with them, too. I, I don't trust Toronto right now. Even though they're a lot better at home than they are on the road, I'll still go with the Bulls. The Wizards at the Celtics. I love what Washington is doing. I'm going with them. The Wizards are starting to put together a nice little run. Are they really what the, the finished product might be? I'm not sure yet. But my fantasy team really wants Russell Westbrook to do well. But I also like Bradley Beal, SEC boy. I'll say that. All right, and wrapping it up, Sunday night on ESPN, Warriors at the Lakers. The Lakers have been really bad. Uh, I am going with – can they keep losing, though? Like, are they no. going to really keep rattling off loss after loss after loss? I no. think I don't think Golden State matches up well enough. They don't have the small forward to be able to contain LeBron. I'm going to take the Lakers. I am a tortured Lakers fan right now. Yes. No Anthony Davis. Yes, you are. But LeBron, like, the animal is going to come out. He's going to go up Batista and do, like, the, the machine gun thing on the runway <laughs> and go crazy. I'll go Lakers. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Episode 7, we'll talk about it next week. We'll break down another division, and we'll have plenty more sports to talk about right here on the Sunday Morning Grind Podcast.